Welcome to Moments with Marianne. I'm so delighted we're spending this time here today. We have a very special show coming right up. Our guest today is Scott Stabil, and he's here today to talk to us about his new book, Big Love. Now, Scott's inspirational posts and videos have attracted a huge audience on social media, and he's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post on how to bring big love into your life. He also conducts personal empowerment workshops all around the world on big love. So let's welcome Scott to the show. Thank you so much, Miriam. Oh, you know, it's such a delight to have you here. Your book is such an inspiration. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really happy that you enjoyed the book. Yeah, so, I mean, and so most people, if they're not aware of your story, you, you know, it, it has a very tragic start. And so I have to ask, from there to kind of where we are now, how did you get to that place of big love with everything that was going on? Well, the, the their element of the story was, you know, when I was 14, my mm-hmm. parents were shot to death in Detroit. And, um, you know, which certainly uprooted my life in every imaginable way. I was lucky at the time to, I'm so lucky to have great siblings. I'm the youngest of seven kids, uh, six of us still living because my brother, nine years after my parents died, he OD'd on heroin, which he had been addicted to for, you know, his entire adult life as far as anyone knew. Um, so the... I would say the journey to from losing my parents to big love didn't really start uh, in a conscious way for me until I was in my early to mid-20s, and that was the time that I got a job at a, a, a world gift, new age gift store in San Francisco. I had moved out there after college, and there was a wonderful book section there, and it was the first time I had heard of enlightenment and, you know, was reading books and meeting people who were committed to uh, compassion and love as a life goal, not, you know, not their careers or how much money they were making. And I was really uh, absorbing this message and it. It made so much sense to me. You know, it made, uh, it, it resonated. You know, sometimes we, we find something in life and we feel like we've come home to something, even if it's our first time experiencing it and working in that store and um, reading these great authors talking about these powerful messages of love and kindness and compassion and presence, um, that really set me on a conscious path, I would say, to love to be, and to big love. And, and when I talk about big love, I'm really just talking about uh, my belief that love is the base note for all that's good in our world. You know, like things like compassion and kindness and forgiveness and authenticity. I think that they're all rooted in this energy of love at their essence and recognizing that when I'm operating from that space, when I'm operating from a loving place, um, I stand the best chance to create positive, powerful change in my life and in the lives of others in my sphere and in the world, you know, on the whole. Um, But, yeah, but the years between 14 and the 20s, I spent a lot of time really in hiding, you know, keeping the loss of my parents a big secret, 
um, keeping my sexuality a big secret, you know, just feeling shame about so much of my life experience. And it wasn't until I started to open up and be more honest with with not just everything I'd gone through, but also with everything I am, uh, that I realized I was creating the possibility for deeper connections out there in the world and a deeper, more authentic connection with myself. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, when people go through a tragedy, it's easy to, you know, kind of keep things inside and, and not deal with them and not be able to, you know, not share because it's it's just so painful, you know. And it, it just is at that, this point where, you know, to talk about it, you know, means that you have to acknowledge it, and then it's a whole other layer of working through things, and it's just it, it could be absolutely just heartbreaking. Yeah, you're spot on, and I and I know that I I don't think as a 14 year old I made any conscious choices around mm-hmm. how to deal with the grief of, with my parents, but subconsciously or divine intervention, I call it what you will, some part of me knew that in order to survive. And I had to just lock it away at that point. I think that the, the sadness, the rage would have been too much for me um, in that time of my life. But what I, I mean, there's a chapter in the book called Dig, and the, the, the mm-hmm. whole premise of the chapter is, is kind of speaking to the opposite of what I just said. It's encouraging people to look at the stuff that we're holding inside, the painful side of our lives, our experiences that we're maybe not addressing, and to consider, you know, digging some of that up because it wasn't until, you know, my experience in life is that we can't be selective about the walls we put up, not really. You know, if I'm choosing to put a wall up to looking at my darkness, I'm also putting a wall up to my light. And and that's just the nature of energy. You know, we can pretend that we can block out certain things, but ultimately we're, we're, we tend to block out things we wouldn't necessarily want blocked out in doing so. So when I really started to allow for um, grief in a different way, and I don't think there are rules to grief. I think we all grieve how we grieve, and that's fine. I don't think you have to go through six or seven channels or whatever to feel like you've grieved correctly. I think that, you know, however it, however it plays out for you is, is how it plays out. But for me, I realized it was not it was not serving me in a positive way anymore to keep it buried. I needed to start talking about my parents. I needed to cry about it. I would, I would cry once a year like clockwork and then bury it again. Um, so once I started crying about it, once I started raging about it and feeling it and talking to people about it and not, not making it such a big secret, I felt like it no longer, it no longer controlled me in the way that it had. And I was much more open and much more available to experiencing life, you know, in an, in an open-hearted way. And and my life changed because of it. And I feel like my connections with people deepened and strengthened because of it, you know. So that served me really well to look at it differently in my 20s. Well, and I think that there's this underlying current, in, especially within the self-help community, that you know, you always have to be upbeat and positive and, you know, have this feel of everything's just peachy and love and light. Yeah. It, it really doesn't deal with everyone's got hurts and pains, you know? 
Yeah, such BS. <laughs> <laughs> I, and this is, I have, I say that. Just say it like it is, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've lived, I've succumbed to that pressure for years in my life of just, it's all good, everything's good, and you know what, and, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they call it, there's the term spiritual bypassing now, and it does go on, and there is this pressure in the world of spiritual people and personal growth and all that to to just feel okay with everything or something's wrong with you. And I, I write about that. Also, the, this, this meme that I see all the time, happiness is a choice, and choose happiness, and you can choose happiness. And you can't choose happiness. That's not true. <laughs> you know, we can't choose our feelings. And, and what I found for myself is that you know, happiness is an emotion. We can't choose our emotions, but I spent so much time believing that I could, and I spent so much time not being happy that not only was I feeling unhappy, I was feeling like a, a profound failure for not being able mm-hmm. to choose my happiness. And uh, I think we do a disservice to each other by creating these mandates or these rules in the arena of spirituality and self-help um, because it's it's just not that black and white. It's not that easy. Yeah, in fact, there's a quote that really stood out in your book to me. It's, life is more about um, happiness. It's okay to feel the things we feel. It's human. Consider everything we'd miss out on if we were happy all the time. And this part really got me. is My sadness has taught me empathy and compassion for others in pain, a gift I cherish as much as any other. And I think a lot of times people just don't realize if we're happy and, you know, like just got this plastered smile on our face all the time, it's not to say, you know, don't don't look for happiness. But when we are in that place and we don't work through our emotions and our feelings and really honestly deal with them, you know, it, it just leads for other problems to arise. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I mean, ultimately, it's just about being honest with ourselves being honest with where we are and being honest with what we're feeling. And if we're not willing to do that, it, it, it is going to affect our lives. It's like you said, other issues will arise because we're going, we're basically, and I was a Pollyanna, believe me. I was like mm-hmm. the smile plastered on my face for years and years, but underneath that surface, you know, there's an ocean of unresolved pain and grief and all of this stuff. Um, but, but ultimately, if we're willing to feel uncomfortable, and that, that's another thing I want to say is just, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And it, yeah, it's not comfortable, but that's part of being human as well. And what I see in the world around me and what I've seen in myself so often is the, the desire to numb and escape any feelings that are not comfortable. And so we live in this incredibly addicted society, addicted to all types of things, beyond just drugs and alcohol, though that's very serious in the world as well. But, I mean, to social media and to TV and to food and to gambling and to shopping, whatever we can do to avoid feeling uncomfortable, we're doing it. Instead of, But then what we, we don't realize is that, hey, I can survive this uncomfortable feeling. And in fact, when I allow myself to feel it, I give permission to, to those emotions to actually move through me. And when I'm not taking any time to feel what's real, all of that stuff is still staying within us and affecting us emotionally and physically in ways we don't even realize often. 
Yeah, it, it just kind of is a hidden, this undercurrent of hidden. It could be anger or depression or whatever the case is, and then it comes up in other areas. And, yes. you know, it, it's just, it's, it's tough. And then we wonder why we have these growing epidemics of, you know, like the opiate epidemic and there's depression and different things going on that we have to really pause and take a look at. Absolutely. You know, I think people are so, People are so afraid to feel, and they're so afraid that they're not going to... This is my experience, mm-hmm. my take on it, uh, one take on it, is that we're we're so afraid that we can't survive feeling the full breadth of our experience. Like, we can't survive our darkness. We can't survive the ugly parts, that we do everything in our power to avoid them. Um, but and, and I think that, you know, speaking of what you're saying, then, you know, we, we're turning to things... And we're creating our own addictions in our lives. I don't think any human being chooses addiction. Who would choose it? But we're all making conscious choices to uh, to escape our lives and jump into other things. And suddenly we find ourselves wrapped in this world of addiction. And um, I think it is possible to create lives for ourselves that we don't need to escape so often. And we don't need to feel that we have to numb ourselves away from. But that encompasses feeling you know, being real. Yeah, and, you know, as opposed to going, looking for something to numb ourselves or escape from, you know, to provide that escape so that we don't have to really, and I love how you've you've said this before, to really kind of stand in who it is that we are, you know? Yes, yes. Because we're all crazy. Anybody who is not the full spectrum of what it means to be human, and on that spectrum is like human beings are disgusting on the one end mm-hmm. and profoundly beautiful on the other end, and we're everything in between, and that's okay. You know, that's human, and I tried. I I have found great benefit in giving more energy to the the elements that love invites into my life, but mm-hmm. not by denying the fact that I also can be really envious and jealous and impatient and angry and all these other things. I don't see any point in denying it. That's part of who I am too. Um, but I, I certainly, in terms of how I show up in my actions, I try to act in accordance with the, the part of me that understands that beyond all that noise and craziness, I am a being of love with kindness and compassion and forgiveness and all these beautiful things to offer the world and that I'm serving everyone involved when I offer those things more often. Yeah, this brings me to my next question for you, which is, it kind of talks about, you, you talk about this story because um, you're very, you've been very active on your Facebook page and you had someone leave a comment that changed, right? I, I think just changed yeah. everything forever for you. Yeah, I mean, when I when I started the Facebook page, it, it really was, the intention was like a Pollyanna's paradise, and all I was posting was like, life is beautiful, and everything's great, and, you know, things like that, and the, the intention there was to be, you know, a spot of positivity, so if someone's seeing my posts, they're going to, you know, just get a jolt of, of sunshine and smile and move on with their day. Um, well, one woman responded to one of my posts, and I don't remember the post, but I remember her response very clearly. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, you know, Scott, not everyone's as happy as you are all the time. Some of us are really struggling out here. And the comment 
was really like a punch to the gut. I mean, for, for a couple of reasons. One, I was like, wait a minute, I'm struggling all the time and I'm not happy all the time. And, you know, I was feeling very misunderstood. And then I also felt like, well, wait a minute, my intention is to be this place of positivity and this woman is reading my post and feeling worse about herself. Mm-hmm. And I know that we can't own another person's response to how we show up in the world. So like, I can't take ownership of how she responds to my page, but it yeah. was a wake-up call. It was an in, I, I saw what she wrote as an invitation because how could she see me as anything more than this happy-go-lucky guy who has no problems because that's all I had been showing at the time. So it was because of her comment that I, I was inspired to do something different with my page. I still post a lot of positive stuff for sure, but I also started sharing my insecurities and my fears. I talked about what happened with my parents and losing my brother to drugs. I talked mm-hmm. about my, the shame I carried about my sexuality and just just started sharing myself and the, the joys as well as the, you know, the failures and the struggles. And the whole energy around the page changed with that. And suddenly, the comments to those posts where I was sharing more of my um, insecurities and pain, those would always be the posts that got the most comments. And people would, would respond with, thank you so much, it's so good to know I'm not alone, and me too, and you're not alone, and thank you, this helps me. And suddenly it became a community where it was, you know, it was okay to share the darker side of the mm-hmm. human experience as well with recognition that that there's everything you know i don't think it's any more real to focus 100% of the time on the dark than it is to focus 100% on the positive i don't you know what i mean without acknowledging that it's all in existence um yeah so that really shifted the 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 kind of energy of my page a lot well and i think being you know because you really bared it all i mean sharing experience, you know, about the the murder of your parents and your brother, and then to, you know, share in regards to your sexuality as well. For a lot of people who are struggling with their sexuality, you know, coming out and talking about it is such a courageous thing because it's allowing people to really identify and say, hey, you know what, that's me and it's okay for me to be me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've... I wanted, I'm very grateful to have received some messages from gay people out there who have mm-hmm. written to me and, and said that, you know, my openness with my sexuality, sexuality has helped them find more openness. And I think, though, that's what we're all doing for each other in whenever we're showing up uh, in mm-hmm. social media, in, re- in real life, out in the streets, with our families, with our friends, whenever we're showing up with a willingness to be present in our truth and say, this is who I am, and I'm moving forward in the world as who I am. I'm not going to confine myself to the conditioning that I was brought up with or to societal mandates on how I should be. This is who I am, and anytime anyone does that, we're creating space for others to do that. You know, So we're all empowered with that possibility. Well, and then it goes, you know, you're, you really are living your message, and I just have to applaud you because you talk about, I mean, the subtitle of your book is The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart. And for a lot of people, they may say, well, you know, my heart's open here, but it's closed here. And I love how you talk about that it really, you can't have an open heart if you have it closed in other areas. 
Exactly. Uh, we like to think we can be selective, but at least in my experience, <laughs> yeah. I can only speak from my experience. When I close myself off energetically, I'm closing myself off energetically. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you, you can't be that selective ultimately in terms of what you allow in if you have decided to close yourself off. You know, but I do want to say it's funny because someone asked me something the other day about about the open heart, and she was saying, you know, I live my life with an open heart and have been burned so many times and I've learned that, you know, I need to have boundaries or I get trampled over. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I thought it was a really interesting point because I, I absolutely believe that living an open hearted life is also a life with boundaries. And I think oh, yeah. that when we're you know, because an open hearted life for me is also how am I taking care of myself? It's not just how am I showing up to love other people but how am I showing up to love myself? And one of the key ways I'm showing up to love myself is in my clarity around what does and does not work for me in my life and in my willingness to to say that. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that, again, we spiritual, I call us like the spiritual types, the secret types, the, you know, self-help types, whatever you want to call the lover types. We tend to feel, we can tend to feel like if we're putting boundaries out there that we're being difficult or we're going to be judged as difficult and that's not aligned with being totally open and loving. But for me, it feel, I feel that people don't want to, in general, consciously be stepping on each other's toes and trampling through boundaries. We just so often don't know we're doing it because nobody's being clear about what does work for them and what doesn't. And setting boundaries, I think, is a, a beautiful sign of respect for all involved and absolutely in alignment with living an open-hearted life. And for many people, I think learning boundaries is something that may be completely new. You know, it's kind of like, gosh, you know, I, I have this, you know, these are the things as far as my values that I believe in for myself, you know, and what I'm willing to to have or not have. and. A lot, and you're right about like how the metaphysical community feels about that. And I think a lot of times too, they feel like it's selfish if you have boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, if you're taking care of your, you know, doing self care and taking care of yourself, that's a, a selfish thing to do, as opposed to, you know, how you so eloquently put, you know, it's really, I mean, it's kind of like you can't, you, can't, <laughs> you have to be a full vessel in order to be able to give anything to anybody else, you know. Absolutely. You know, I'm all for I'm all for selfish self care because I, in my experience, when I'm taking care of myself, when I'm rested and I'm feeding myself well, and I'm, you know, I, I'm looking after myself, I always mm-hmm. have more to give the people in my life. That's just how it is. Like when we can show up for ourselves better, we show up for others better naturally. And I think you end up having, you know, like healthier connections and communications with people around you as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, and one of the, you know, just, I think, heartfelt things, I know you've gotten to this place of forgiveness for the man that murdered your parents, and I think for a lot of people, they would, may have difficulty, you know, getting to that place, but I loved how you did that. I mean, you made perfect sense about all of that. Yeah, it was. I mean, in a word, it was empathy. If mm-hmm. I've learned anything about forgiveness, it's that the path to forgiveness is through empathy. It was with the man who murdered my parents. It was 
only when I started to consider his life and to consider what, without knowing, obviously, the details, to, to start considering what his life could have been like to lead him to that point and to, to recognize that it's not possible to be a human being who feels worthy and feels loved and feels seen and to come to murder innocent people. It just wouldn't happen. And so I, I couldn't connect to murdering anybody, but I've been so angry. I've wished people would die, you know, and I've mm-hmm. been so, I felt so unloved in my life and unworthy and unseen like those things I could relate to. That is the human experience. We all know, we all know those emotions at some point in our life and to whatever degree we know them. And, and when I started to, to recognize that and to, to connect with him through that lens, I just saw his humanity and recognized, like, this man did a horrible thing, um, made a really, really bad choice, and affected my life and the lives of many others um, profoundly because of it. And he's still no less worthy of love and forgiveness than I am. And so when I would would think about him, because when I used to think about it, it was just, you know, with rage and vengeance and, you know, ugly thoughts. But I noticed that when I started to bring empathy and compassion into the equation, when I would think about him, I realized I had forgiven him. It wasn't like this concept. You know, forgiveness, I think, is one of the, the most difficult mandates of love. You know, it's not an easy yeah. thing to do, especially if you feel you've been really betrayed or hurt or whatever. But... I knew I it, and it wasn't like I said I, I'm going to forgive him right now and it happened like that. It was just noticing that by bringing empathy, forgiveness eventually found me. And then I'm like I have forgiven him. I don't hold any of what I used to hold. It's it feels like pure forgiveness for what he did. Well, and it, really the way that you explain that. I think for a lot of people, we hear empathy all the time, and it's like, well, what the heck does that mean, you know? You know, and, and I think a lot of times people can get that, you know, kind of confused with sympathy as far as, yeah. like, you know, which, which am I having, <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs> no, I, I hear you, and I, I look, I, I, there's a whole chapter about the difference between sympathy and empathy, basically, in the book, mm-hmm. and I, I think that we're, we're desperate. Basically, for me, the difference, sympathy, um, and I don't think sympathy is bad, but I think that inherent in sympathy, there is distance created because sympathy is basically saying, I feel sorry for you. And empathy is saying, I am you. Like, empathy is an, an opportunity to imagine what it's like to walk in that person's shoes or to connect to your own pain as it connects to what the person's going through so that you can be more present with their experience. And we are, we have a, an extreme scarcity of empathy in our country right now, Marianne, as I'm sure yeah. you, you notice. <laughs> and, yeah. and I really believe if more of us were taking the time before we're raging at each other on social media and out there in the world, if we just took the time to remember there's another human being on the other end of that comment. And even if we completely dis- disagree with what they're saying, and even if we find it offensive and uh, horrific, if we can take 30 seconds to remember, to try to imagine what it's like to walk in that person's shoes, or to try to imagine the struggle that they've carried through their life to get them to this point where they're sharing whatever it is they're sharing, at the very least, 
we're likely to fill up to that conversation without hatred in our heart. And we can create, hopefully, a different kind of dialogue. But we have to be willing, you know, instead of just complaining about the way everyone's communicating, we have to be willing to show up differently, you know, with more compassion, more kindness, with more love. And and, and look, I don't know how to do it, especially mm-hmm. in the world of politics. You know, I'm working so hard to be more conscious in the way that I'm communicating um, in politics. And I know that a lot of a lot in the metaphysical world want to avoid politics like it's it's beneath our energy or we don't want to get involved in, in conflict. But I, I really encourage those who are committed to being compassionate to get more involved in these discussions because we need more people who are not just going to lock on to their anger, though I think anger is an important catalyst. We need more people who are going to to support that anger with love and empathy and compassion and to create openings for real dialogue to happen, you know? We're desperate for that. Well, and and at least, you know, how you've been describing it, at least allows the space open when we approach it, you know, the way that you're suggesting, it allows the space open so that dialogue can take place. You know, and it, it, a difference of opinion doesn't have to equate to hatred for somebody, you know. It doesn't have to and shouldn't. It's like That should not be a reflexive action to hate someone because we don't agree with what they're saying. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah that's a pretty strong and, word, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But we we have to take that on because because the way politics is working right now, the, the political environment in this country is only fueling that hatred. It's only fueling that division. It's not in any way trying to unite and to support um, more compassionate conversations. So we, as individual citizens and individual human beings, have to show up with a different way of being, you know. Yeah. And the more and more and more of us who are doing that, it will make a difference. I really believe that. Well, I agree with you 100%. I think you know, people who associate themselves with, you know, being in the self-help, metaphysical, light work community, however they want to define themselves, you know, kind of being the ostrich and sticking your head in the sand does not help the situation um, as far as, you know, the, the problems and the issues that have been, that have arise are not going to go away. I mean, we have to be actively engaged in it, but in a positive way. Absolutely. And, and look, it's, it's certainly not going to go away for the people who are most affected by the different injustices out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I'm a white guy. Yeah, I'm a gay man, so I, I'm I'm very much in touch with what it's like to be in a marginalized community and what it's like to have yourself judged in in the ugliest of ways simply mm-hmm. because of who, who you love. But I'm also a white guy, you know, and and I can walk through the world without being judged at all for the color of my skin or for my gender or assumptions made about me because of those two things. And, um, you know, but, but people, you know, people of color don't have that option, you know. Yeah. And so I, look, I don't, I don't see, I think love is very vocal in the face of injustice. That's how I've, because I've really, I've really, you know, not battled as any, well, battled is one right word, but I've really been considering, like, what is love asking me to do in this political arena? You know, because I, in my life, I've also wanted to just, quote unquote rise above it and not engage. But I feel like when I really tune in, I feel like the love in my heart is saying you have to make noise for what love stands for and love does not stand for injustice in any way. 
you know, it speaks yeah. up in the face of it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really kind of puts things, you know, a little bit in perspective. And I love how you bring it back to, like, big love. Like how, you know, you kind of ask that question as you're going through things. It's like, what would big love require? What am I needing to do? And it's like the way to check. It's kind of that meter to check, it. hey, am I, am I connecting with the way I want to connect or am I kind of off balance here? Absolutely. That's the that's the thing when because uh, people tend to ask me, well, what do you do? Is there a certain practice you do to stay focused on love? And the the the, the easiest thing I do, and I do it all the time, every day, is ask that question that you just said. Basically, like, mm-hmm. what is love inviting me to do in this moment? You know, how is love asking me to respond to this moment? And often, you know, when I'm really if I'm feeling really enraged by something and really blameful. It, I may not be able to get myself to that place of love in that instant, but by asking myself that question, what it will at the very least do for me is prevent me from responding. <laughs> you know, prevent me from engaging. <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes that's the best, that's the only choice you can make. Just don't engage. Like, if I engage right now, it's going to be very ugly. I have nothing good to offer this moment. And even just disconnecting, not engaging, and giving yourself a half an hour or a day or a week um, to decompress and to reconsider, usually you can come back at it from, from a more compassionate and a clearer place. Well, I think when anyone asks the, you know, asks the question, you know, in regards to like, how would, how would, you know, being in, in big love address this? How, it really gets you out of that chatter and out of that defensiveness yes. and out of that, yes. those, the gossipy comments that we have in our head because everyone's gossip, you know, and we yeah. like are battling, battling our little, our little um, demons, so to speak, you know, when it comes to these things. But at least being open to hearing another person's point of view and how, you know, how did they even get to that thought process? How is that even um, possible for them? And then coming to a place of really empathy for them as well. It really puts the conversation in a totally different place. Absolutely. Even if you completely don't agree with anything they're saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean you have to come to a place of agreement, no. but it, it, at the very least, we can take a, a little extra time to try to understand where they're coming from, like you said. Well, especially in the polarized discussions that are taking place, you know, in regards to many topics. You know, households a lot of times are feeling like they're being broken up because they can't have discussions because yeah. things are so um, volatile, you know? Absolutely. And I also don't incur- – look, I'm not somebody – if I feel like the person on the other end of the dialogue is just committed to their hatred and just committed to being mm-hmm. hateful in the way they're communicating, I don't engage. I feel, I don't feel the need to show up for every conversation I'm invited to if, yeah. if all that's going to be spewed at me is like this volatile hatred, closed off speech. You know, we don't have to participate in those conversations, but I'm certainly not going to feed it with more hatred. That is absolutely not going to serve anything. Well, I just talked that, you know, it's kudos to you for appropriate boundaries and then, you know, showing people. Sometimes it's interesting. People, you know, you hear a lot of talk about boundaries and, and different things. But having someone actually stand up and being able to basically teach people by their actions how it's done, I think is, you know, it provides a, a bright light to the world. 
Yeah, and also I think, I mean, <laughs> standing up and saying, no, it's not done. <laughs> hey, mean, we all make whole, mistakes, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's a picture in the book called The Meltdown, the whole chapter. Uh, is about, the chapter is about communication, but yeah. the whole chapter is about how I, like, what a horrible communicator I was with my partner this one evening when we were living in Panama, and I'm highlighting, like, all of the mistakes I made over the course of this evening and all the ways I didn't show up with openness and with compassion and with love, <laughs> but that served as well, you know what I mean? It's like the, what not I think we all can remember days like that, you know? <laughs> 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 my gosh, wish I could have a redo of that night. It didn't handle that well at all. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad it, at least it made it, it made it chapter in the book, and my partner and I laugh about it now at least. <laughs> yeah, he has a good laugh with you on it, I'm sure, because, yeah. I mean, you, you look at and we, I mean, everyone has to start from somewhere, but at least if you make the effort and then, you know, if things don't work out so well, you know, I mean, you're having a great laugh about it in the chapter in your book, and but at least being able to go back to the person and say something along the lines of, gosh, you know, I really didn't handle that well. Let me try again or let's talk about this or whatever the case is, you know. Absolutely. And what you're saying there is so important because it's speaking to ownership. And I think that that is, that's a critical component is like bringing awareness to those moments when you're, you're not aligned with the energy of love. You're being mm-hmm. a jerk. You're being really impatient. You're being a know-it-all. Whatever you're being. Are you able to not just bring your awareness to it, but own it, apologize mm-hmm. for it? You know what I mean? Like because we're, oh, yeah. uh, uh, we're also afraid to own our our stuff when we're not. You know what I mean? And just to be like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. How <laughs> I handled that situation was really, really ugly. And look, yeah. I'm not. I, I've gotten much better about that in my life. Not always in the moment. You know, I, I my ego gets out of control a lot too. But you know, I really do my best to go back when I have not shown up in a way that is very nice or whatever and and just say, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't I was wrong there. And then start over, you know, and bring bring a better version of yourself. Well, gosh, it sounds like you're human, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're all human. That's the thing. It's okay to be it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be a jerk. You it's and it's you, you, it's it's not just okay, but it's beautiful if you you can just say, "I was a jerk last night." You know, I'm sorry. Here I am mm-hmm. today, trying not to be a jerk. Yeah, working on it, moving moving yeah. the discussion forward. You know, it, it's interesting. Usually, I'll say I'm having a bad hair day. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I'm bald, so I can't say that. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing is, is if you say that to someone who has literal thinking, they're like, no, your hair looks nice. I've had people yeah. tell me that. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. Of course, of course. Yeah. But you know, that ownership is so important. And, and you know, it, I, I just, I mean, gosh, I know we talked a little bit before, you know, you know, spending this time together today and chatted. And I know your book isn't a New York Times bestseller, but gosh, it should be because it really is elevating the discussion for people in many capacities. I mean, we talk about forgiveness. We talk about love. We talk about empathy, showing up, you know, taking responsibility. I mean, there's so many. It was really interesting. There are a lot of you know, personal development books out there. And sometimes while they give really good things like, hey, show up and, 
and be more cheerful or be happy all the time and, you know, or don't watch news or whatever the case is, they seem to miss the point for people who are actually living on this earth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Most people. <laughs> Aside from the astronauts. <laughs> well, do you know, I'm sure they have an opinion about yeah, that as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Look, I know I've been most served by the writers, teachers, thinkers, people who are willing to show their humanness and willing to show the messy parts of themselves as well and not feel the need to pretend that they have it all together. Um, You know, those are, because also, they're also bringing great wisdom, you know, based on their experiences in life, but it's rooted in this, this real understanding that, yeah, some days I'm flying and great and grooving and other days I'm a, a, puddle, you know, puddle of mess in my house or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's just how it is. And yeah. that's okay. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, and I know we haven't touched on this yet, but you're also, you know, involved in, and I think this can happen with a lot of people nowadays, especially with a lot of the different um, metaphysical communities that are out there. You, you found yourself involved in a cult, not really realizing it and then left that. And I really applaud you for that as well because there's something to be said about being your own guru, you know, is looking yes. within and finding those answers. I'm not having, you know, you know, Joe Saint tell you or Joe, you know, whoever tell you, hey, yeah. these are the things you need to do in order to attain spiritual enlightenment. Absolutely. Uh, look, I'm a, like many seekers out there, the spiritual seekers, I think we're always looking for teachers. You know, we're, we're always open to, and I think that's great because I'm finding teachers in, you know, podcasts and radio shows like this and in books and in, in people all over the place. Um, but what I, what I really tried to do with that chapter was to emphasize, not just to recount, you know, my experience in the cult, but to emphasize to people, um, because I think it is more common, as you said, than we even realize that people yeah. get, find themselves in these communities where they're, where they're being told what to do and there's a lot of manipulation and it all feels good until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just want to encourage people, like you said, to be your own guru and to recognize that no matter who you are choosing as a teacher in your life and for how long they may have been a teacher, it, you, it is always within your power to move on from that person or book or philosophy if you feel it's no longer serving you in a positive way. And even if everyone in your life is all about this person or this mm-hmm. book, but it doesn't jive with you, that's okay. And that when we when we do find the courage to move on and the clarity to move on from the teachers that are no longer serving us, that's when we create space for new teachers to come into our lives in the way of new books, new podcasts, new, you know, new people, whatever it is. Um, but we have to be willing, I think in all areas of our lives, we have to be willing to move on from from the experiences, from the relationships that are are not feeling good and are feeling like they're doing more damage than healing in our lives. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, with any, my experience with that has been that when, you know, we come across a teacher or somebody that um, that has a little bit more information in one area or another than we do, they're, I look at it as as if they're like a piece of our puzzle, 
you know. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's they're just there for a period of time to help us with the information we need so we can continue along our journey, you know. So Yeah, uh, I lo- I love that. Yeah, it puts things in perspective. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I say I I look on my experience in the in the cult I have a I have mm-hmm. a lot of positives that I took away from that. A lot, a lot, a lot. You know, I mean, that uh, that in part really helped me center into my desire to walk the path of love, you know, mm-hmm. and to be unconditional about that. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't, I see a lot of gifts from that experience in my life. And, I'm, and I don't in, at all want that as a part of my life anymore. You know, I'm glad I left yeah. here. It's kind of a season, and then things moved on, you know. Yes, yes. And take take with it what, what um, you developed and what you experienced. Now, I mean, gosh, there's so much that I took away from your book, Big Love. I love it, obviously. Oh, and thank you so much. Are saying we, I big love it. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, man. I really appreciate it, though. I'll never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> thank you. Well, and so when when people pick up your book, if you had like an underlying message or overall message, what would be something like the like? I know there's many messages that I I took away from it, but what would be like one of them? One of the messages you want your readers to take away from your book? So the one I would say one main message is that I don't believe anything stands to transform your life more than choosing love as often mm-hmm. as you can possibly choose it. So I I it's a constant invitation in this book to to make that choice and see how that affects your life. You know, and and when I'm saying choosing love, I mean choosing kindness, choosing compassion, choosing forgiveness, choosing authenticity, which is nothing more than self-love. You know, when we feel empowered to be our most authentic, it's because we're loving ourselves. So when you're looking in the mirror, I'm I'm not just talking about how we're showing up in the world. How are you showing up to your mirror every day? I would say that's a, you know, that's one of the biggest messages I want from the book. And another, I really, I really hope that people in reading you know, the the stories from my life that they'll feel less alone in their lives and recognize that they're not alone in their struggle, that we don't have to have each other's exact experience to understand that we all know grief, we all know heartbreak, we all know envy, jealousy, joy, love, we all know all of these things. And when I, one of the great services of my Facebook community to me and what I hope the book will, will serve as is a a comfort and a reminder when you're going through it and you're in your darkness and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, just knowing you're not alone in that pain. There are others out there. That has helped me through some really dark periods in my life. Gosh, you know, if I had your book years ago, because everyone goes through, whether it's um, losing a friend or a loved one or whatever the the trauma is, everyone has their, their own trauma. And if I yeah. had your information years ago, that would have been so helpful. So I'm so grateful we have that now, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. But before we let you go, 
Where can our listeners connect with you and be part of your community so when your book does become a New York Times bestseller, they know how to reach you? <laughs> well, there, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trusting you're psychic. Looking <laughs> forward to that day. Uh, well, I do most of my uh, most of my posting and a lot of live videos too through Facebook. So if you go to Facebook and search. Scott Stabile, S-T-A-B-Light-Boy, I-L-E, you'll find me there. And also on my website, which is just scottstabile.com. And I'm, I'm on the road. I didn't, well, I'm actually home now, but I'm, I'm doing a book tour. So you'll see on my website or on Facebook all the different events I have going on. And if you're in one of those cities, please come out and say hello. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, I'm checking to see if you are going to be in my neck of the woods because I want to meet you in person. My goodness. I want to meet you too. Where's your neck of the woods? Where are you? It's Colorado, in Denver, Colorado. You know, I don't have, I don't have Denver on the list now, but it, it will be coming. I, and I you know what? We, we may need to add that to the, the list here because, my goodness, you're doing a coast-to-coast trip here. So this is fabulous. Anyone can meet you at any of these locations. So, aw. Yeah. Well, and, and, of course, they've got your website that they can go to. Did we mention Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, my website, scottstabile.com, and then and Facebook. And Facebook as well. Well, and Instagram. I'm on Instagram, too. <laughs> so you, you're on a few you other things me, too. I mean, and I'm on, I'm on Twitter, but on Twitter, I'm much more political on Twitter. That's where I use my, I get my political outlet on Twitter. So find me on Facebook first. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to share big love with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Marianne, and thank you for all you're doing to share big love with the world. Thank you, Scott. It's been such a pleasure to spend this time here with you today. I feel that it's enriched my life, and I highly suggest everyone go out and pick up their own copy of Big Love. Well, at the end of our time today, I'd like to thank everyone for taking the time to tune in. You've been listening to Moments with Marianne. And remember, make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guests and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Moments with Marianne airs every Thursday, Friday, and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information. Thank you.